Thinking of that line in this hymn, <clears throat> number 296, First fruits of the new, thy new creation, faithful, holy may we be. Joyful in thy full salvation, more and more conform to thee. Change from glory into glory. You know, there, there needs to be with every one of us growth and uh, progress, steady progress in our souls. And I'd like to, uh, with the Lord's help this afternoon, uh, take up uh, something that I feel the Lord has just laid on my heart really today, uh, the seeds of it a few days ago. Uh, but I felt um, uh, quite a burden, really, to ask the brethren if I could have an address this afternoon and to discharge this responsibility that I feel. And uh, it will become quite obvious as we go along. Uh, let's turn in the beginning to the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs chapter 7. And verse 6. For at the window of my house I looked through the, my casement, and I beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding. Now, this has got to be one of the saddest things that there ever could be. Uh, we know the end of this young man. We're all familiar uh, with this chapter, and we know uh, how this young man fell prey. Uh, verse 23. Till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. This is really a very serious uh, chapter, this one. We're not going to spend our time in this chapter. But just to uh, introduce what I feel the Lord has laid upon my heart is the fact that uh, I, I believe that we have a great many young men and young women who are void of understanding. And I'm sorry to say that, but we're not talking about people that don't get A's or B's or anything like that in school, but we're talking about void of moral understanding, void of spiritual wisdom. And uh, guess what? It's for your life. It's for your life here in this scene. And uh, it's going to affect for all eternity if we be found like this young man in this, in this verse. You know, we here, as members of the body of Christ, every one of us has been given a gift that we might um, work together for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. And if we have um, discovered that here we've been possibly raised in a Christian home, and uh, we've been given so many things, and uh, we've, uh, we've been saved, and at some point we ask for our place at the Lord's table, and we're at the Lord's table, and we just maybe are surfing on this, coasting along, life is good, I can kind of dabble a little bit here, dabble a little bit there, certain things I won't do, some things, well, it doesn't really matter, and we coast along, until we find ourselves maybe in our late 30s, 40s, whatever, and we're a dud spiritually. We, we can really contribute nothing to the body of Christ because we have not been diligent in our youth. Um, that's really my exercise this afternoon. I want to encourage you that are younger to rise up 
and to possess the, the, the good land. So let's go on here from uh, Proverbs chapter 7, back a little bit to the fourth chapter. You know, you dear young men and young women, uh, if the Lord should tarry, you're all we've got. You know, the future of the assemblies of those that are gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is largely in your hands. Now, I'm speaking of that in the uh, from the aspect of responsibility. God is sovereign. He's going to do what he's going to do. But you have a responsibility to take up the torch and run with it and do so for the glory of God. You don't really owe it to anybody here, but you owe it to the one who, who paid the full price for you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. Hear ye, the, uh, hear ye, children, the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. Verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory, shall she deliver thee, deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom, I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy step shall not be straightened, and when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go, keep her, for she is thy life. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. Verse 18. The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet. That means, this is a bit of a question, where are we going? What's the direction of my life? Am I totally focused on the Lord? I ask that for myself. You know, this is, I guess I shouldn't say this is just for those of us that are younger, but it's really for all of us. You know, some of us that are older, we can look at mistakes that we've made. There's habits that we have. There's things, there's passions that we have that hinder us from really following the Lord like we know we should. But we settle down to a compromise with these things, and we have become unproductive. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. 
Uh, Daniel chapter 1. Now we read back in Proverbs chapter 7 that statement, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Now in... um, in Daniel chapter 1, I didn't spend, intend to spend really much time here either, but just to show in the first chapter of the book of Daniel what the God of this world was doing at that time. He was seeking to take the very best of the children of Israel, like those here, the young ones here that we have in this room, uh, the boys and the girls, in this case just the boys, but there was a... Uh, um, a plan to take the very best. It says in verse 3 of Daniel chapter 1, And the king spake to Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish and well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and so on. My point here in bringing this scripture up is that uh, this powerful, influential king wanted to take the very best of the children of Israel, those who were destined for leadership, and to take and bring them to Babylon, make them eunuchs, and infuse them into his culture. You know what? That's exactly what Satan's trying to do right now. He's trying to take those of you that are young, that are promising, that have a lot of ability, and to strip anything that would be of profit to the people of God and get rid of it. And, and take the natural ability that you have and work on that for his own kingdom. And so for the kingdom of God, there was of no value. You know, I'm afraid that that is precisely the attack that we are under now. You know, our our dear brother Al Cantrell has young men in that area there where he lives that have come to him and asked if they could get together uh, at his house and study the Word of God. They know they, they, they want to be together over the Word of God. They want an older brother or two to uh, kind of supervise and give wisdom, but they're hungry for the Word of God. You know, that's not in every place, that kind of energy. We see that the young people want to get together and do things like play cards and, and have fun and, and uh, eat pizza and all that sort of stuff. But are you getting together because you have a hunger to learn more about the Word of God? Do you not know that there's a struggle on for your life? Now, I'm not saying that everyone is a nowhere man. I'm not trying to say that. But sometimes the group... Can, because it's sort of hard at times to break out of that and say, hey, how about if we uh, look into the book of Ephesians? Huh? What? We don't know how to do that. Is it possible that we don't know as young men and women how to get together and study the scriptures together and encourage one another in the word of God? Where are we going to be in 10 years from now? 15 years from now, if the Lord should tarry. Where will this meeting here be? Someone... Uh, said uh, to Bruce just recently that, you know, you two brothers say way too much in the meetings, you know. It's just uh, nobody can get a word in edgewise. That's true. Uh, That's a a good comment and it's a rebuke. Uh, We need to back off 
and uh, allow some room for those of you that are eager to ask questions and, and help out to do so. Are you going to do it? Or do we just go back to filling up the space again? Now, I'm not saying either that spiritual energy is only manifested in taking part in meeting. Farthest from it. But, you know, it, it, it should be at least some should be able to ask questions and take part and, uh, and do that. Otherwise, where will the future be? God obviously has given some here some of those abilities and gifts to teach and so on. Well, here in the book of Daniel, we can see that there's definitely a plan to bring you down as young people and to hinder you from going forward. Let's look at a man who seemed to fall into that in the book of Samuel. First uh, Samuel chapter 1. Now, I want to encourage you to not fall prey to thinking that <clears throat> whatever you call me, Uncle Wayne, or, or whatever you call me, is just trying to bug us, or he's getting on our case again. Uh, please don't think that. Uh, please hear the voice of the Lord to you. Hear the Spirit of God uh, tugging at your souls. First <clears throat> uh, Samuel chapter 1. Here's a man who, uh, you know the story very well, uh, Samuel's father. Uh, and um, he uh, seemed to be a pretty religious fella. At least he was... Uh, I thought of this one, really, because the comment was made this morning about SMO as a Sunday morning only. And uh, that was an expression that was used, as I mentioned, when we were young. Uh, and um, I used to hear it. I used to say, boof, I wouldn't want to be that, because they sure attached some, uh, some uh, emphasis to that. Oh, well, he's just an SMO. Just an SMO, a Sunday morning only. Well, I guess that's maybe what Elkanah was. He was one of those. You know, there was three yearly feasts that they were to go up to. He managed one of them. Verse 3, This man went up out of his city yearly to worship and sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And so, but he did manage once. He, there was some religious exercise with him. And uh, he was at least trying in some respects, but... He obviously had other things to do. There's other things more important in his life, and he didn't really get up very often. But uh, we have this situation in his home that's, I think, very, very instructive because he's married to a very godly woman. And as you, you know the story well, this woman really had faith and had a longing desire to honor the Lord. You can see it in her life as we read through this chapter. But it's, this is one of those graphic relationships in Scripture. We have a godly woman who is stuck with, forgive the expression, but a dud, a spiritual dud. And, you know, I wanna, uh, this is a warning in this chapter to you young men and to you young women. And we're going to see how this develops, uh, develops on. Uh, let's read here about this. Um, 
Verse 4, And when the time that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, uh, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah her husband unto her, Hannah, why weepest thou, why eatest thou not, and why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat on a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall come no razor upon his head. And it shall come to pass that as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah spake in her heart, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought that she had been drunken. And so on. This dear woman was in a very difficult situation. Here she is married to a man who thinks that he is better to her than ten sons. He is insensitive as to that which grieved her terribly. The fact that she really wanted for there to be a man of God for the blessing of God's people. You know, the fact that God had closed up her womb uh, you know, here, I don't know at, at what point uh, this man, Elkanah, went and picked up a second wife. But it may have been when he found his, his this, uh, I'm, I'm speculating, but it may have been that when he found his first wife was uh, barren, he went and got another wife, and they had children. But he loved Hannah. That was possibly the first relationship and so on. And how many husbands do this very thing? You know, they start out well. As you get in Acts chapter 27, when there's a courtship on, uh, there's a lot of exercise. And there's, you see, the, they're taking part in meetings. You see a lot of, of spiritual activity. But when the, when the fast is passed, when they get married, things go down to a very low level. And I have seen that more times uh, than I can really... Well, I, to, to count it up is fearful. That there's all that energy, and are we not all susceptible to that? When we have a deep need, we really need something from the Lord, that our spiritual fervor rises. Once we get it, it falls down again. And as husbands and fathers, let us beware of this. We may have wives that are mourning and want to see in their sons what you and I should be. Uh, that's what I suggest is happening here. This dear woman is begging the Lord for a man-child. Those words, it doesn't mean she just wanted a boy, so that because it was a good thing in Israel to have a boy. This was no average desire. This woman wanted a man-child that uh, she could give to the Lord. Here it is. Eli is... Out of it. The man is, is uh, aged. He can't control his own sons. The, 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 the thing is in absolute disorder. 
the things have got so bad that God put an end to this uh, line of priests that would be communicating God's mind to his people. He said, enough of this. I'm going to bring in prophets. And so Samuel was the, be- was the beginning of a line of successive prophets that he used to communicate to his people. And, you know, sometimes as the, the failure of us in our, in our exercise of priesthood, that is, our getting close to the Lord individually to discern his mind, that the Lord doesn't communicate his will directly to us anymore. He uses prophets, and we don't like prophets because prophets tend to, well, speak like we're speaking here this afternoon, and we don't like that very much. And so you just find that the prophets were particularly those who were persecuted most of their days. But it's just something that it is, there's a line that is crossed here with Eli and his sons that God never restored again. And so there's something to really pay attention to here. But the point that I bring up here is this dear woman, Hannah, was married to a man who was going nowhere fast. He was just kind of half-treading water. There was very little spiritual exercise with him. And her heart's desire was for a man of God. She gave up on her husband. And she's begging the Lord now for a child that she can give to the Lord. Think of what this dear woman was prepared to do. To have this child, to nurse, nurse him until he was weaned and then give him back to that old man Eli in the temple. And what a risk that was. And so it is, this poor woman had a lot against her, and yet her, uh, her desire is the Lord honors that. And it's an encouragement for you, uh, dear sisters, that if there's anyone here that feels that they, they had really hoped that their husband would have risen up to be a spiritual head in the home, and he's never done that, you can yet beseech the Lord for a man-child. And so, whether the Lord is able to uh, speak to your husband and raise him up, or to raise up other, others to help in, in the testimony. You know, it's, it's this woman here was so devoted to the Lord, and her desire was to see blessing there, that she would see it through anyone whom God would choose. But, you know, it's really something to me when I go to a wedding and I see this dear young girl taking and she's offering herself. She's putting herself, spirit, soul, and body on this young man's altar. I sometimes say to myself, my wife and I have said this, does she have any idea what she's doing? What a risk this is. And uh, so, you know, you dear young men, and here's two of you here today that are going to be getting married soon. And some of you young men are married. And uh, you've got a responsibility to lead in the fear of God and to be the man that this dear young girl wants you to be. That, that's a challenge. And you can do it if you walk before the Lord in fear. <clears throat> well, let's uh, go on. Let's go back, actually. In the book of Ruth, we will... Uh, Find a man who was really that. You know, here we are. We've kind of looked at the negative side of this and uh, enough of that. Let's look at the positive side. Uh, let's see in Boaz a man 
who uh, really was what uh, God was looking for. In the book of Ruth, uh, we have uh, this man, Boaz, um, and he's introduced to us in chapter 2. We might say that early in chapter 1, we have a similar situation uh, where there is uh, a man and a wife who have the the uh, uh, problem of taking spiritual holidays. And uh, in the land of Moab, uh, no less. And uh, it didn't work out so well. And so against that, here's a famine in the land and so on. You'd think, how can anybody go on under these circumstances? How can it possibly work? Well, there is a way. There's a man here who is really a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Ruth chapter 2, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. That name means, in him is strength. Where did this man derive his strength from? From the Lord. He was a man of God. And you can see that uh, the, uh, the way in which he carried on amongst the people in the field and so on was... Uh, he was a man of grace, of blessing. But the point that I would like to make here is that he was a man of wealth. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not to understand that as young men, we want to go out there and make as much money as we can and be able to provide for our families in that way. No, we want to take this spiritually. He was a man that valued the inheritance. He worked it, and it paid off. And if any of you, if, if I value the inheritance, the spiritual inheritance that's been given us, and we work it, we'll become a Boaz, a man of strength. Now, is that what we want? Of course that's what we want. Every one of us want that. We want to, not that we can rise up and be uh, some kind of a public figure or anything like that, but we want to be for God what God wants. And the only way that we can do that is to value what he's given us. He's given us an inheritance, a spiritual inheritance, and we want to take up with it and work it. And so Ruth, it's her hap to light upon this this field, and uh, he has, uh, Boaz has uh, uh, influence in that field. He has those that respect his word and so on. It's because of his moral dignity that he had. And uh, well, we know the story. We know that uh, when uh, Ruth came and laid herself at his feet, he was scared. He was really scared. Now, when you as young men, uh, all of a sudden you, you realize you're picking the petals off the flower. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. Oh, do you realize what this means when you get to that point? Does it make you afraid in the night? You know, that time when Boaz lay there and she came and uncovered his feet and lay down at his feet and he was afraid in the night, in that expression is all the sufferings of Christ right there. But what it says to you and I as men is that it's a big job. And to take on a wife and a family is a big job. And the, the option of just surfing along and 
being a dud is not there. It is simply not there. And so uh, just because you've been able to pull the one leaf off, she loves me, and then get the thing to a marriage and claim the victory and get out and go on your honeymoon and get the place rented and make the first month's rent and get the process going, and then the spiritual exercises settle down really back to where it was in the beginning. You know, it's a very sad tale. But unfortunately, that's common. That's normal in these days in which we live. And so we need to be warned that it will not do. We are, we are coming, I should say, we are coming due. This is coming to the point where the day of reckoning is coming upon us with this. If the Lord should leave us here, we are in deep trouble. <clears throat> Let's go and look at another uh, positive note. Back in the book of Joshua... Joshua chapter 15. Uh, Verse 13. You know, Caleb, uh, we're introduced to him here. He was really a a, a wonderful uh, encouragement. And uh, he's an encouragement to those of us that are maybe a little bit older Uh, that we can encourage the younger to rise up and possess the inheritance, possess the land. And uh, Bruce was telling me about our brother Al Cantrell here and his little labors with the brethren, younger brethren down there. Uh, I'm not trying to put you on a pedestal, brother Al, but uh, that's the work of a Caleb, to encourage the young in any way to rise up and possess the land. And so uh, maybe there's a lack, maybe that's the real problem. Maybe there's a lack of uh, those of us that are older being like Caleb. But Joshua is dividing up the land, and it says in verse 13, he, And unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which is Hebron. And Caleb drove thence three sons of Anak, Sheshai, Ahiman, Talmai, the children of Anak. And he went up thence to the inhabitants of Deber, and the name of Deber before was Kirjath Sefer. This man, Caleb, he was a mighty man of God. He went, you remember, he went up, he was one of the spies. He went up into the land, and he saw things he never forgot. It's like the Apostle Paul having that vision. He saw things he never forgot. And I hope that you and I have been in the Word of God enough that we have seen things that have made such an impression upon our souls that we will not slack off, that we're going to keep on going for the glory of God, and that we want to reach that land. We want to possess everything we can possibly possess. Now, what did uh, Caleb want? He wanted the most dangerous part of that land. Now, why was the part of the land that he was after so dangerous? because Hebron was there. And what that means is communion. And so that area was defended by these three giants. And they were bad news. They were big boys. And they were tough. And you could certainly have chosen an awful lot easier way to go. 
but not him. He valued Hebron. He valued communion with the Lord. And so, maybe this is the most important point that I can make to you today, is that communion, intimate communion and fellowship with our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, must be the number one focus in our lives if we're really going to make it. That was what Caleb was after. At least this is what the type suggests to us. And so he drove these giants of the flesh out of there. And so what's there in the way? It's the flesh. It's the fleshly desires. It's all the things that we may have on our plate. It's that second wife. Some, it's that hobby. It's that whatever it is that's in the way of Mount Hebron. And every, with every one of us, it's different. And so the Lord in his mercy knows how to remove some of those giants for us and make it somewhat easy. But we have a way of rebuilding them again because we really don't care about Hebron. And if we don't care about Hebron, there comes a time in our lives where the Lord no longer begins or, or he no longer pushes us toward Hebron, toward that, that life of intimacy with himself. And so we get to middle age and we we're found to be duds. It's because we have proved we don't care anymore. And what happens? The Lord spake once, twice, three times, no more. And that's a serious thing. Now, I'm not saying that there can't be repentance and that we can't recover. Yes, we can. Psalm 51 is very, very plain about that. But anyway, here we have this man, uh, Caleb. And what I want to get to, the point of taking up this is, there was a young man. You see, Caleb was in the, in the business of encouraging other young men to go up and get a victory. He wanted them to get a victory. And so it is that um, he comes up and he destroys, verse 14, those big enemies. Then he went up thence to the inhabitants of Deber, and the name of Deber before it was Kirjasifer, and then he stops. He said, I'm not going to take this city. So what is this, Caleb? What are you doing? You're not going to go forward? He said, no. I'm waiting for a young man to rise and take this city. And, and Caleb said, He that smiteth Kirjath-Sefer and taketh it, to him will I give Aksa, my daughter, to wife. Now, she must have been some kind of a prize for, uh, for him to be able to say, If anybody wants to take, go in and take this city, a lot of giants here, this is a heavy, this city, uh, I'm going to stop here, but if any of you young men would like to take my daughter for wife, you could, you know, uh, take the city, take my daughter take my daughter, take the city. It's kind of synonymous. It goes together. And so maybe she wasn't all that attractive. We don't know. Only one man seems to have stepped forward. We don't see our uh, stampede of young men coming in here. So she probably wasn't the most attractive one because, um, you know, all the all the jocks weren't, or, you know, all the guys were the football players and and all that, they weren't all running in there to do this. But here's this man. Uh, we'll read about him. Verse 17. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it. And he gave to him, Aksa, his daughter, to wife. 
Now it's interesting that why this is important and why I mention it is the meanings of these two cities. Or this one city, rather, I'm sorry. Uh, but two names. Uh, verse 15, he went up thence to the inhabitants of Deber. The name of Deber before was Kirjath-Sefer. So the name of the city, first of all, was Kirjath-Sefer. What that means is the city of the books. But Deber means the word of God. Do you get the picture? That under the power of a man like Othniel, this city could be renamed to be the word of God. And you know the challenge is to take the city of books, that is, you know, with uh, the worldly casual Christian, this is just the Bible. It's just a book. And all the ministry that is available by gifted men who have labored and agonized over the truth of God, they paid a price for it, City of the books, it's, it's, well, whatever. But, you know, under the hand of a man like Othniel, it becomes the word of God. And so that is what's valuable. When we take up this book, and it has power in our lives, it is the word of the living God. That is what makes us victors. And that's what makes us go on and capture what really belongs to us. You know, you look at people... Uh, both brothers and sisters who have a gift and they exercise their gift in the fear of God and you say, you know, I'd sure like to be like that. You know, I, but boy, I, I don't know, I just, it's hard, I, I don't know, I, I'm just not, I just don't have it. You know, that's not true. Those who have been faithful with what they've been given have taken the city of books, Kirjas Sefer, and made it deeper for themselves. If you take what God has given you the gifts that he's given you, this very book, this gift, and take it to yourself with thanksgiving and, and work with it. God will then develop your gift. You know, every one of us have a gift. We know that. And it is in the fear of God that we can work these things out and develop it for the glory of God. That's when it becomes apparent. We don't say, wake up one morning and say, uh, okay, uh, I have the gift of a shepherd, so I guess I should start studying. It's impossible. How can you possibly know without exercising what comes to you in the fear of God? That's how you find out what your gift is. And you may never be able to uh, delineate what it is. It doesn't matter as long as you're serving the Lord. Others may be able to say, well, he's definitely this or she's definitely that. But nobody's going to know. And you certainly won't have a hope of knowing or of being prosperous at all, unless you devote yourself to what the Lord sets in front of you. And so Caleb sets this in front of, of uh, these young men, and he flushes out of the crowd this man Othniel. And to you fathers that have daughters, remember this. You certainly don't want to have uh, an Elkanah coming up and saying, well, sure, I'll take your daughter, Axa. And you go, well, no, he's got a good car. Sure, that's fine, yeah. He's got a good job. That's all right. Well, you might regret that down the road. And so for the, the fathers of daughters, there is an exercise to be a Caleb. And uh, here's what happened. Notice this. Let's read about it. Caleb uh, was not just thinking of this young man. He's thinking of his daughter. Verse 18, it came to pass that as she came to him, that as she came to Othniel, that she moved him to ask of her father a field. And she lighted off her ass, and Caleb said unto her, What wouldest thou? 
who answered, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a south land, give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the nether springs, and so on. And so uh, he, was, he had encouraged his daughter to value the land of Canaan so much. He had, as uh, Mr. Willis, I guess it was, used to, he wrote, wrote in his book about the parents of my grandchildren, that no doubt Axa was one of those uh, young ones who, uh, I guess she's a relative of Caleb. Uh, I called her, her the daughter, but um, anyway, uh, it is a daughter, I'm sorry. Uh, this little girl would have sat on his knee, and he would have told her all the, the things about Canaan. And so that by the time she is here in her teens or however old she was, she longed for it. And so that when she sees that Othniel, this man, comes in and, and conquers this city, and she realizes this is the man that God has appointed for me. And my father has, has set things up in such a way as this is plain to me that this is God's man for me. You young girls, I hope that your fathers have done this for you, given you principles so that you can see when Othniel comes out of the crowd. And yet it's very plain to you. And I hope that uh, by the grace of God that you can encourage that young man to get more than what he even anticipated for both you and he. You know, that's a wonderful thing. And this is here a, uh, you know, it's just about coming in the book of Judges. It's, it's a day of ruin. And what a bright spot that this dear young woman would rise up and, and instigate this young man, even before they're married, to get more of the land of Canaan. What, a, what an incredible mix this is. Now, you know that this is not a dud of a girl and not a dud of a young man. And so you find over in the book of Judges, uh, let's follow this a little bit, uh, Judges chapter 3, So this young man in his early days, when there was the exercise to have a wife, and the very best of, of Israel was there, Aksa. And, uh, but I'm talking about now spiritually. She was a prize, and he knew it. And he valued the land too, and he, he, want, he wanted to have that girl for himself. So, we see tremendous spiritual energy. He conquers the city. He captures the victory. Not the city, but the girl. That's the victory. And now what does he do? Does he settle down? And does he just become a, a dud? Let's read Judges chapter 3. It's a book of Judges. We'd expect him to become a dud. So let's find out. Verse 9. When the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Shushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Shushan Rishathaim, and the land had rest forty years. And Othniel, the son of Canaz, died. Now we find in the next verse 12 that as soon as he died, the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. This young man was like an anchor. He stopped the drift amongst the people of God. This was no dud. And you know, even in a, in a day of ruin, 
you and I, as weak as we are, and all of that, we can, by the grace of God, stop the drift by just being devoted to the Lord. That's all it is. It's going after deeper. It's just this book. You know, it's all to do with this book. We are people of the book. You know that in, uh, in the, um, what's that Muslim book? The Koran. You know what the Koran calls Christians? People of the book. Are we people of the book? Is this our life? Acts 2.42, those four pillars, those four anchors, what are they all about? It's all about this book. And it begins with the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. And so this is, to me, very exciting that this is yet possible. Now, uh, young men, those of you who are um, about to be married soon, um, Genesis chapter 24 and verse... Verse uh, 62. And Isaac came from the well, uh, the way of the well Lahari, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac said unto, went out to meditate in the field at even. And he lifted up his eyes, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off her camel. For she had said unto the servant, what man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. So here's the moral order here. Here's a young man that is accustomed to going out into the field in the evening and meditating. Is that our custom? Or has that just been the pre-marriage exercise that will tend to go away? Isaac was a man of God. He, it was his habit to be meditating in the field at even. And it just so happened at that time that the camels were coming, and Rebekah is, uh, is coming. Now, what is it that she had asked the servant? And this is a good question for you younger sisters to think about before the Lord. The Lord may not have anybody for you at this time, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's an exercise that you need to go through. What is the character of this man? So that, that's what he's, he, she's really saying. She had said unto the servant, What man is this? What kind of a man is he that walks in the field here? There's a man out here in the field. What's his character? What's he made out of? And what, what did the servant say? Beautiful. This is my master. Everything has been committed into his hands. He is the responsible one. The inheritance is his. He possesses it. And he's using it. It's all in his hands. What does she do to that? She put a veil over her face. That's beautiful to me. And uh, that is what, uh, what we want as husbands. That we be regarded by our wives as those that value the things of God. You know, our dear wives may have shed many tears when they have seen us drift. And they don't feel before the Lord that they can just come in and put the boots on and kick us into shape. And thank God for that. But in their sweet spirit of submission and in their prayer of agony before the Lord, 
as we wander and dilly-dally around, not realizing the danger that our families are in. And as they agonize before the Lord, the Lord hears their prayers. And the Lord may begin to work with me as a husband. And my wife may be, as a brother said uh, about his wife, he said, I married my discipline. It works both ways, though. She married her discipline. And that's not necessarily in a negative sense. But when we marry, we come together as one. And if, but if one part wanders and gets away from the Lord, guess what? You fall under the same discipline with that person. And you need to submit. If it's your wife that is, is drifting from the Lord, or if it's your husband that is drifting from the Lord, you're locked in. It's like you go and, uh, to a fair and they put you in the roller coaster and you look at that thing and, oh, wow, it's stories tall. You think, I think I'd like to get out of here. And clank, the big bar comes down in front of you and some man somewhere pushes a button and you can't. The chain is rolling and you're going higher and higher and higher and higher and you get over the top and you look down and you go, Oof, this is bad. Why did I do this? And many people that have gotten married have said exactly that. But you can be comforted in this, that if you have followed the Lord and uh, you may not have been wise, you may have, uh, it may have been better to wait, but whatever it is, you are who you are now. And you can submit to the Lord in it. And at least if one half of the relationship is submitting to the Lord, that gives the Lord an awful lot less to work with. And then he can focus and in his various ways of speaking with a still small voice or speaking in thunder. But if he does speak in thunder, expect that it may not, you may be in for a bit of a rough ride. And as you go over the top and you look down, you just have to look up to the Lord and realize that he is the one who's in control and he is the one who has taken your family off the shelf and he begins to shake up the jar. He begins to take the lid off, and he begins to work with it. It's sometimes unnerving and unsettling, but we can thank God that he's working in our homes and that if he is, sad thing if he's not. And so this, uh, this young woman had that question, what manner of man is this that comes to me? First Timothy chapter 4, read a couple of verses there and we'll close. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. Now, are we to defend the fact that we're young and uh, that we know it all and that we are a step ahead of the old generation that seems to have fallen asleep and uh, is not in touch? No. We uh, can defend our youth and our, our generation by being godly. Let no man despise thy youth by being godly. <clears throat> but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I'd like to draw attention to that word in spirit. You know, the spirit is not, that's not the Holy Spirit. But you might say that that's attitude. That's the focus of your life. That's the, the, the inner spiritual energy of your life. And that is how you can defend 
your youth, if you want, or have youth not to be despised. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, manner of life, that is, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, but the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. That reminds me of dear Caleb. That all thy, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed to thyself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Let's pray. Our God and our loving Father, we thank thee for the, uh, the uh, encouragement that we find in thy precious word to rise up and take the land that is before us. And although we feel a burden to speak to those that are younger here today, we feel the sharp edge of this uh, double-edged sword upon each one of our hearts. And so we pray that thou would not let us go and that we might drift further. We pray that thou would stir us deeply, that we might in, in real affection to thee and to thy beloved Son uh, be found wholly devoted to thee. We think of this day in which there's such a need of uh, men, spiritual men. We do pray that thou would help us. Help the fathers, help the sons, we pray. And think of the dear girls, too, and the mothers. We just ask thee for thy grace and mercy that we may encourage the next generation to rise up and go on, that we may pass on the torch to them and that they would run with spiritual energy and affection for thee. We ask these things in thy worthy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.